This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. If you've been listening as of late, you know we're in this series called The Creative Process, and every episode we're processing an aspect of the creative life and and our creative pursuits. And we're looking at that in light of the digital era. It has pros and cons to the creative life and how we go about it. And so we're trying to dig into a different angle of that with every episode. And we've covered all kinds of things. We've talked about making space for your creative work. We've talked about how art is fleeting and yet it's necessary and good. We've talked about voice and platform and reach and rejection. We've covered all kinds of things and really... We've covered so much. We're kind of nearing the end. Although, Hannah, I feel like we could just keep talking and talking about these things. Well, you know me, Erin. I could keep talking and talking and talking about almost anything. And and that's one of the things I love about podcasting is it kind of validates my um, penchant toward just thinking about yeah. things or just discussing yeah. them. And it makes it feel like I'm actually doing something. Like I can talk and that can be my creation. And so I've enjoyed this a lot because it has given me space to just think, right? And not have to do. (laughs) I I like to talk and think as well. Well, my bank account says it isn't. (laughs) Those two things aren't exactly the same. Not exactly. Well, this is kind of like where the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, how are we going to actually do some of these things that we've been talking about? That's hard. It's easier to talk. Right. My husband kind of laughs at me because he just says I live in my head (laughs) and that I come up with a 100,000 different ideas. And if I can actually move one from the idea stage (laughs) to finished product, then we're doing well. I wonder if this is common to uh, creative work. I would guess so. I would guess the creativity is always brewing and then it's the doing of it that can be really the the hard part, the difficult part. How do you actually get some things rolling? Yeah. And I feel like the world is probably divided into people like that comes really naturally uh-huh. to them. Like I know for Nathan, he will just laugh at me because he's like, how can you not know what the next step is? Like <laughs> he, it's so natural for him to be able to lay out a process and know how to take it from initiation to completion. And sometimes he'll just, I'll ask him for help. I'll be like, can you get me through the next phase of this project? And he's like, what do you not understand? (laughs) How could you not see it? So this is something where some people could be more gifted than others. It's possible. Mm -hmm. 
that you just have the skill or you don't. But that doesn't mean that we can't get things done. It's just we're going to come at it in a completely different direction. Yeah. So I think this is something we need to think about. Definitely. I could talk about this a lot. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Well, today we're so happy to have a guest with us to talk about doing things. Um, We have Mike Cosper with us today. Mike, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Mike, we are so happy to have you here. Um, We want to make sure that all of our listeners know all about you. And um, just as a brief intro, all of our listeners, Mike is a writer, he's a speaker, he's a podcaster, he has founded things, he has been a pastor, he has founded churches, like you've done all kinds of things. Um, Would you mind just telling us in your own words about your professional life and how you see it? And and that way, everyone can get to know you a little bit better. Sure thing. Yeah. So I was one of the founding pastors of a church called Sojourn here in Louisville. Um, I wasn't a pastor when we founded because I was 19 years old, but founding staff member, leader, etc. I've been a musician since I was a kid. And uh, what happened was when we planted this church, we had four or five people who were qualified to be worship leaders. And the common thread between the four or five of them was me. I was the um, guitar player slash band leader for a lot of them. And so it it kind of fell in my lap that like, hey, you should be the coordinator of this this music ministry. And then that led to coming on staff. Um, and then that led to a really, uh, for a season, a really incredible ride of, of making records, of getting dozens of musicians to collaborate together and, and, and make music. Um, during that time, we founded something called the 930 Arts Center, which was a, uh, it had two music venues, uh, a small one and a large one. It had uh, an, a couple of art galleries. And then the third floor of this building was all dedicated to artist studios. Oh, that's cool. um, yeah, it was great. I mean, we had everything from like a skateboard company to this guy who made chairs, like, oh which doesn't sound exciting, but I mean, he made amazing chairs and we had a- It's Ron Swanson yeah. making chairs. Ron Swanson guys- making <laughs> hipster chairs though. Like these were, these were definitely yes. hipster chairs. So, um, and so anyway, I, I did that and served on that staff until 2000 and the end of 2015. In 2016, I started a nonprofit and through a long and winding road that turned into a, a for-profit media company that uh, produces podcasts for a variety of uh, individuals and nonprofits and um, a few for-profit organizations as well. And so constantly dealing with the tensions of making things and knowing when they're finished and knowing if they're good or not. Um, probably the place where that's the most intense for me is as a writer uh, trying to make uh, make sentences that make sense and mm-hmm. are beautiful. And um, so, yeah, that's the nickel version of my story. I think the thing that strikes me the most about your story is that you basically been in non-traditional kind of entrepreneurial settings since coming into adulthood, right? Like 19 is kind of adulthood, like you're just sure. entering it, but that's been the scope of your entire professional life. But knowing the age you are, I also know that some of that was probably happening before 
the kind of web picked up so dramatically, right? right? So can you remember before the way we're operating now and how has that affected the way you go about your work? Like what's Mm. the difference between pre-web 2.0, like with all the social media stuff and everything and the way we're operating now? And how does that affect the way you go about your work? I think the environment is a lot, obviously, uh, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I think the environment is a lot more distracting now than it used to be. Um, the There's so much at our disposal instantaneously that is numbing and pain relieving, um, whether that's shopping on Amazon or surfing the net or searching social media, reading your Twitter feed. Um, My Twitter feed? Yours in particular. It's just <laughs> numbing. Absolutely numbing, Hannah. <laughs> just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> no, just in general, just the the stimulus of information. Um, I just find that I uh, I find it I find it complex, and uh, it makes it very it makes it very difficult. I, I've I've used different tools over the years to like tune it out. Um, different apps where it shuts down your web browser, or different things like that, but. You can always disable those. Yes, <laughs> and so experience with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's completely different. I mean, when I was when I was sixteen years old and playing in bands and uh, writing music with friends and things like that, or writing music on on my own, there was. I mean, I could go downstairs and turn the TV on and distract myself from it, but there's a big difference between you know, having a phone literally sitting by your side that you could instantaneously disappear into um, than there it is to having to get up, put the guitar down, you know, walk downstairs and flip on a TV and find something you wanted to watch. It was just, you know, the possibility of, of distraction was there, but there were more obstacles to it. And that's what's, that's what I think technology has primarily accomplished is it's removed all of the obstacles from, Distraction. With that in mind, part of this conversation in the series for for this episode is looking at how do we cut through that? How do we how do we still move forward with our creative work even though there is no barrier to the distractions? And I I would love to talk about that a little bit in terms of you mentioned having these blocks, I'd like to try to give yourself some barrier. Um, but are there are there other things that you've seen that have helped you in terms of um, making sure that you're you're focused and you're moving forward on your creative work that you are are doing the things that you feel called to do? Because obviously, you've gotten some things done here, you've been successful and had some things that have worked. So how do you do that? I would love to know from your perspective. Yeah. So a few years ago, uh, someone recommended to me Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way. And it's kind of like, like I, on the one hand, I should say, I couldn't recommend it more highly. It's a great resource. Um, on the other hand, you just have to hold your nose at some of the hippy dippy nonsense that's in it. You know, like she, at one point she says, you know, sometimes there's nothing better to do for our souls than to take our shoes off and dance in a drum circle, which I'm never going to do under any circumstances. Um, but the, the point of the book and 
you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a devotional, um, but a devotional to sort of a generic God. But the point of the book is to help you kind of navigate your story and understand what are the, what are the elements of your story that have, that have developed creative blocks for you. And, um, and so she recommends a couple of practices that one of which uh, I really lock into. So when I'm writing a long, long-term project, um, I try to lock in on this practice called morning pages. And the idea is that you get up and when within the first 30 minutes of your morning, you do three pages of handwritten free writing, just whatever's in your head. And generally what comes out is what are you anxious about? What are you fearful of? You know, what are the, what are the negative thoughts and negative emotions um, associated with your creative work? And, um, and it's almost like, it's almost like flushing out the pipes, like cleaning, cleaning out the system before you actually sit down to, to write anything. It, it gets the, it gets the writing engine going, but what it helps to do is it helps to sort of alleviate a lot of the, the anxieties and the, the negative self-talk that comes with the creative process. Um, so I think that's been, that's, I, I don't think I know that's been huge for me as a, as a tool in, uh, in, in approaching writing projects in particular. See, that's fascinating to me because I think anyone who has taken on projects, creative projects, know that there is this kind of tension of resisting actually doing the work, right? So like, you know, you have to do it and you want to do it and you want to get it done. Um, but you're also constantly looking for ways to distract yourself. You are like, oh, look, the house is really, really dirty. I need to clean it now. Um, oh, I should get on Twitter. Oh, I should see what's happening. And I think one of the things that we don't often recognize is that looking for those distractions are actually really emotional distractions. Like there is something happening beneath the surface in terms of um, maybe our concerns, our fears about the work, our anxiety about doing it well enough. And so there is this sense of, I'm going to go to the emotional reward, right? So for me, a lot of that is getting on social media because I'm safe there. There's not a lot of risk there. I know how it works. It rewards me emotionally. It gives me this kind of uh, substitute satisfaction and fulfillment of, sure, I didn't write an essay, but I said one good thing on Twitter you know, and everybody liked it. So I, I find that interesting that a lot of times when we talk about productivity, our mind wants to go to the doing, like, how can you spend your time better? How can you be more functional? And really what you're describing is um, an emotional functionality that is necessary to doing your work. Like you have to understand why you're being stopped from it um, and address that as well. Yeah, I think um, I think it was Andy Lamott who said uh, that when you sit down to write, all of your anxieties show up like like a herd of cats that, that are clamoring for your attention. And I think that's a really good image. I think uh, effective creative people over the long haul will at some point have to kind of wrestle with their inner demons and their – their emotional health. Um, you know, my podcast, I, I, it, you know, years, year and a half ago or so I interviewed Lecrae 
and you know he's had just a tremendous output and does does tremendous work and i was what i was most struck by in the in the interview was how obvious it was that he had really taken the time in therapy to reckon with the traumas of his childhood uh, and that comes out in the interview i mean he talks about it very openly um so i'm not like outing him or anything like that he uh, he recognized that in order to continue at the pace that he was at and at the the level of excellence that he was at, he was going to have to kind of go back in time and go, okay, where's where's the pain located? And am I willing to dig into that and acknowledge it and reckon with it before God in order to be able to do the best work and, and be the best artist that I could possibly be? That is fascinating that it is almost like to be productive and move forward, you actually have to slow down and stop and step back. And that's a hard piece of advice to take because we are hearing from all sides, produce, be productive, hustle, get it done. And even in the artist's realm, whatever your creative pursuit is, there is this sense of, um, you're going to miss out on opportunity or on um, maybe the the big break or something like that if you don't keep pressing. And yet you are affirming this sense that you actually have to stop and process and, and know the story of your heart, that nav- navigating your story idea so that you can produce good work. We talked about that a couple times in this series about are you producing to produce or are you producing good work? And so that's such a challenge. Um, we don't really like to hear that. Let's slow down and take a look at these things that are plaguing us. But it's it's crucial to our work and, and to our, I think, our emotional health as well. A podcast I really love and you know, you should give all the explicit language warnings and all of that. It'll be obvious from the title of the podcast. It's called WTF and it's hosted by Mark Marin. And Mark is this kind of curmudgeonly comedian who really started the podcast as a way of trying to reconcile with all the people he had burned and, and angered over the years. His career was falling apart. Um, he was very emotionally unha- unhealthy, unstable. He'd burned a lot of bridges. And so he starts this podcast, um, Cause you know, he's actually said a couple of times, like I was either going to kill myself or start a podcast. And so I started a podcast and, um, he spent the first two years. If you go back to the archives, he spent the first two years in these conversations with people like Mike Birbiglia and Louis CK and these other comedians that he'd kind of come up with. And just their conversations were about reconciling their relationships, um, because of the ways he had been he had been hostile. And what, what's so interesting as the thing has gone on, it's, it's, it's been around for seven or eight years now, I think. And what's so interesting as the thing has gone on is to hear how, you know, almost every one of these successful, uh, uh, successful artists, actors, comedians that comes on the show, they all have some process, whether it's a therapist or whether it's a meditation practice or whether it's, certain kinds of, you know, I don't know, yoga or whatever, they have these processes where they're, they're checking in on what's going on inside of them 
and they're they're cultivating a sense of self-awareness and you hear it over and over again you hear it the other podcast that that i would commend that where i think you hear this stuff a lot is uh brian koppelman's podcast the moment um you know Koppelman's the reason i started listening or i started reading julia cameron's book and you know he's incredibly disciplined about his morning pages and his um his morning pages and his uh, his meditation practice. And he's like, if I don't have those processes by which I check in on what's going on inside myself, then that stuff is is then simmering all day long and the creative work suffers as a result of it. And what's interesting to me is, I mean, this is coming, you know, Koppelman's a, a Jewish atheist. Um, and what's what's interesting to me is to think, man, if we step into that, those kind of self-reflective practices and, and there's precedent for it too, right? Like prayer of examine, this kind of ancient, you know, monastic practice. Um, if we step into this process of self-awareness in the light of the gospel, in the light of God's uh, unconditional scandalous grace for those who put their faith in him, then we have an incredibly powerful resource to set us free to step into the work, knowing that the work doesn't tell us who we are. The work doesn't validate our, our goodness, um, our, as David Zoll would put it, our enoughness. Um, and instead it's, it's something that we're liberated to do rather than something that w- defines who we are and validates who we are and what we do. Well, I, for one, do not like the direction this conversation has taken. <laughs> I was just thinking, if we're talking about productivity in step one, step one, go be reflective and deal with all your inner demons. (laughs) Right, right. Because like we like this thought that the only thing stopping us from the projects we want to do or the only thing stopping us from um, accomplishing what everyone else is accomplishing is that we just don't have the right process. Right. So I watch how this happens on Instagram and social media, and I see all the tricks of the trade. And I see the um, systems that people have built in where they're posting so many days, they're creating this, they're turning one thing into multiple products. And, and I think to myself, all I have to do is get the right process in place or get the right people around me. And so while, you know, collaboration and team, that that's important, it's not important for the same reasons as just getting it done. And I think what you're describing, Mike, is something that we do know, um, but we would rather believe the narrative that's being told us that you just need, it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it's what just it is. Your, it's just your process. But I also know that I have said to my family and I have said to other people, there are projects that I want to do that I will never do until I am a spiritually healthier person than I am at this moment. Like I know that there are things that I almost feel God has just like planned providentially eventually for me to do, but he's also looking at me like, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not there yet. <laughs> not ready for that. But, but maybe part of doing it, the call to that work is also part of the process of discovering that kind of spiritual health. And I, and I think that's fascinating that I do know at a very deep level that the kinds of things that I want to ultimately accomplish with my work will only come through spiritual formation. And I think that's I think that's 100 percent true. 
but I think there is like a flip side to this, which is like on Good, the other give it to yeah, yeah. I could use it. On the other side, on the other side of like cultivating emotional health, you know, that requires a certain set of disciplines. Doing the creative work requires, you know, effectively doing that work requires another set of creative disciplines. But I just think that's the truth. Like like on the other side of like trying to sort of cultivate emotional health, that's clearing obstacles, but that doesn't mean that you've all of a sudden got an easy road. Like mm-hmm. you, you still have to sit down and, and walk the road. I guess that's a mixed metaphor. You have to stand up and walk the road. <laughs> you have to actually do the work. You have to actually I, I think do the work. that's the thing is um, I, I, I mean, I want to avoid step one, which was the self-reflection. <laughs> and I do a good job of avoiding that at, at times. But I also do a really good job of avoiding getting the creative work done when it is that sense of like, I'm the only one who can do it. Like, I have to be the one who is typing in the words because I'm a writer. That's what my work looks like. And that that discipline there's no way around it. It's creative. And yet, it's a discipline, like you actually have to do certain processes, um, certain um, actions that that build a steady, long, <laughs> um, ongoing, put your hands to the paper, put your hands to the keyboard. And I think that that's where for a creative person, you do want it just to be all magical. And the thing is, is it's not magic. It's it's not. It's like you actually are doing work. And um, whenever someone has that misconception that the creative life is just this free-flowing, full of whimsy, it's like, well, maybe the brain thinks that way, but to actually get the work done, you've got to channel it and direct it, and it has to be a discipline. That's the hard part. Yeah, and I think that's one way the uh, digital age or social media has kind of warped our view of creative work is a lot of people are selling the creative life as something other than it is. And I see this especially on Instagram where, I mean, I will, there are Instagram influencers who will say, take pictures of your work because that's work. You know, like that's part of your work. So there's this idea that you can sell this life. And I'm looking at their pictures and I'm like, honey, that is not what it looks like. I mean, you look all pretty or you're, you know, you're painting and your children are running around at your feet. That is not what it looks like. It looks like more like you're yelling at your kids. They're eating ramen noodles. Uh, you haven't showered in three days and you have a deadline on Friday. So, and, and I think deadlines are an important part for my creative process. Yeah, me too. Um, and one of the things I've found is really helpful to actually getting the work done is committing to something, um, actually locking myself into a relationship with someone else that says, I'm going to deliver this to you at a certain time. Um, and it may not be necessarily a job that's paid. I think early on in my process, I started a blog for the sheer sake that I needed the accountability of telling people I will be posting on this blog once a week. And then if I didn't, that they may not care, but I knew I had committed to them, to that goal. And so I have found for my own sense of getting the work done, I do need to actually commit to the work in that very 
structural way. I love, uh, there's a Douglas Adams quote that I think I identify with on deadlines. And this will be an alternative perspective. He says, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they fly by. <laughs> uh, I, I have a, I have a bad relationship with deadlines. They, they matter to me. Um, but I, I have a tendency in almost every case to go, Oh, I have a deadline. Okay. That means I have that much more time to procrastinate on the project. <laughs> and, um, it's, yeah, I don't commend that process to anyone. Years ago on some Myers-Briggs personality summary, it, for my category, it said something like deadlines are simply the reminder that you actually have work to do. So like the deadline comes, it's like, oh, that's right. Here's this project. Now, I, I do think that depending on the severity of the commitment or the importance of the commitment or the the fallout if you don't meet it. I think that that does help you to get more of that work done ahead of time. And I've had to play all sorts of games with myself. Like I have pre-deadlines to my deadlines. I don't know if anyone else has ever done that. But like if my deadline is Friday, I tell myself, no, your deadline is Wednesday. Because otherwise, if you wait, then you will be really behind. And so I kind of play these games with myself. That's one of yeah, my but that's productivity just like hacks. Setting your that's just like setting your clock like three minutes ahead right, right. and knowing then like, oh, no, it's three too. minutes ahead. I, I'm I do okay. that too. I set all my clocks in my house three minutes ahead, and then I know that I'm actually on time. Because otherwise, I, I don't know. I, I need these things. These these sorts of practical things do help me. But even though you're just tricking yourself, I don't know what what other people do. But that's what I tend to do, and it it does help me to get moving. Yeah, I'm I, I'm the same way. I I I need them. Um. I'm sort of the opposite. I'm like, okay, if that's the deadline, then I know that the editor is probably going to be willing to extend to this date. <laughs> so, you know, definitely see, for sure by by this date, it's got to be done, which is which is terrible. And some and, uh, of, yeah, I think some of this too for me isn't just the deadline is an abstraction; it's the relationship on the other end. Mm -hmm. So, I hate to disappoint people. Um, and maybe that's one of the demons I need to exercise so that I can actually do better work. But it's more about the relationship. And, and that's one thing um, I find in my work is I'm working in isolation a lot. And I find that if I am actually attaching myself to other people, I do feel a responsibility to them. So whether it's collaboration or whether it's I don't like group projects. I really, really don't. Mm -hmm. But I also like working in community. And I find that that's lacking in a lot of my work. And so I find ways to say, actually, the work I'm doing has a uh, bearing on other people. And that kind of helps motivate me. Yeah. Another dynamic that I think is interesting with this um, is when you, have a, when you have stuff that's more open-ended uh, as a deadline, like... Uh, I've had editors come to me before and say, hey, we'd be interested in getting something from you on this. No hurry. Just get it to us when you can. And so you start working on a piece and uh, you're you're never quite satisfied with the work. Um, this is even more true in producing music, uh, the records I've produced. Uh, the way the technology is these days, you can you can edit for 
a hundred hours on a single song, just lining up all the timing, tuning everything that's out of tune, fixing everything, tweaking the EQs, making the mix perfect, all of this. You can, you can do that for forever, but at some point you have to be able to say to yourself, it's done. Like it is what it is and it's done. And it's going to, I'm going to send this, this gesture out into the world and it's going to, someone's either going to gesture back at me in a positive way or they're not. Um, and there's, it, it can make you neurotic. I mean, when, when Bruce Springsteen got the, got the first draft of the, the, the mixes for, uh, uh, oh, uh, the album with Thunder Road and all that on, I can't think of the title of it at the moment for some reason. When he first got these mixes, he listened through the whole thing and then he took the tapes and threw them in a swimming pool, hoping to destroy them. Um, those mixes are the ones that, uh, those mixes are the ones that we hear now and it's, you know, probably his most iconic album. Um, and so there's something in our minds that has to be willing to accept the thing, you know, at some point we go, okay, this is the thing and I'm going to let it be what it is. And I'm going to send it into the world regardless of the consequences. And the, the gift in that is that it liberates you to go and make the next thing and, and maybe the next thing, you know, certainly the next thing is an evolution from it because you've learned, you've had that experience, and now you're moving on to the next project. And so the the neurosis of knowing when is it finished is is a really difficult thing. I appreciate that you're talking about all these different types of creative outlets, um, because I know our listeners are coming to these episodes from all different sorts of creative work. It's writing, it's speaking, it's music, um, baking, you know, whatever it could be. Um, we have people who are processing these ideas in different ways. And so I'm so glad that you're bringing it up from different angles. And I, I think that even this conversation, it has been helpful because it hasn't been landing on any particular uh, type of creative work. And so I do appreciate that you've been able to to bring that aspect to it. And in each of these episodes, we've been trying to kind of wind it down to, okay, is there a practical takeaway? And um, although today we have been hitting on some practical things, I didn't know if you had any final thoughts for what would you suggest or recommend or an encouragement, anything to do with what we've been talking about as um, an encouragement to our listeners as they are hoping to be more productive and, uh, and fruitful in their creative lives. Yeah, when I when I talk to artists that are trying to develop a process and a sense of um, kind of the scope and scale of their work, one of the things I always say is you've got to recognize that there are three different realities at work and at any time there's there's you the the person who you know if you're a christian artist in particular there's you who's been remade into the image of christ and has nothing to prove there's your skills and talents which are something that is get both given and something that you can cultivate and develop into to something better and then there are the artifacts that you make and it's like you know, one of those is eternally fixed, which is your identity in Christ. 
And so we can go into making things not feeling like we have something to prove about who we are and what our worth is. One of those is the skills that we can constantly be developing and growing in. And then one of those is this temporal thing. It's a mark in time. On this date, in this time, and in this place, I was able to make this thing. And it doesn't define me. It doesn't define my identity. It doesn't even define my skills. It defines it, – it's a marker on the roadmap of where I was. And I think when we can differentiate those three realities, like, okay, I can I can rest in who I am in Christ. I can work on my skills and and, and my my talents and my craft, and then I can – I can make things and then lay them down and know that's a that's a marker on the road of where I was in that time and place. I think it's a really liberating concept, a, a liberating framework that can allow us to do the work without feeling defined by it or feeling um, crushed by it when when we're dissatisfied with what we've done. That is so encouraging. I, I, a few times now, you've you've used that word "liberated" or "liberating," and I I really hope that as this conversation has unfolded, I think that people are going to feel that way that they're given some um, some clarity on how to move forward in in their creative work. So, thank you so much for Mike for being with us. We really appreciate it, and uh, we will make sure that everyone has access to uh, how to find you and follow you online so they can get more familiar with you and keep up with your work too. So thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, that is it for our conversation for today. We will um, put all the links that we've talked about here in the show notes for you. And also, if you've not been able to catch up with our creative process series, I'll put all the links for the shows in the show notes as well, so you can catch up. Um, but we'd love to have you join the conversation with us. Hannah, do we have a question of the day? We do. Um, the question for today is, after listening to this what I'm going to call an extraordinary conversation that went a totally different direction than I was hoping it would. Sorry. <laughs> what do you think you need to change about your process? What is something you want to add, something you want to do differently, something that you've been liberated to do? So what is going to change in your process after this conversation today? And as always, you can join us on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC, um, or you can join us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum to discuss that question of the day. If you're not a member of Christ and Pop Culture, you can become a member for just $5 a month to enjoy the conversations there in the members forum, but also to support all the work that Christ and Pop Culture community is doing. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Claussen. He's our producer for Persuasion and all the other shows in the podcast network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com, or you can search for them at iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We thank you so much for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness 
to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.